Well, guys, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This will be the last episode before September. Man, September is here. So exciting. Uh, can't wait to hear stories from you guys. If you have a hunt, if there's something even in the podcast that helps you fill a tag this fall, then be sure to let us know. You can always contact us directly by email to podcast at exomountaingear.com, and we would just love to know how your season goes. In this episode, we're going to be talking about traveling with a bow and or with a firearm. And so there's different scenarios here that we'll get into. I actually speak with our guest, Kyle Hansen, about traveling with a bow. He's very methodical in how he does that. And this applies to both flying for a destination hunt as well as just even traveling for a car ride. But really what Kyle does with his system, as you'll hear about, it's just good preseason checks to do as well in terms of like reference marks, making sure nothing moves, um, there's so much in here. So whether you're traveling for a hunt this year or traveling for a hunt is something you might do in the future. It's really, really worth checking out this information that Kyle has on traveling with a bow. Before we dive into that, you know, we recorded this episode with Kyle about the bow and I thought, well, man, we better hit some advice on traveling with a firearm as well. So I've actually traveled um, both flying, driving out of state hunts with both types of weapons and just kind of wanted to hit some of the highlights of traveling with a firearm here first before we dive into that bow conversation with Kyle later in this episode. Um, it can be intimidating at first to think, you know, I'm, I'm going to go into an airport with a gun, right? Um, but it's a really super simple process. There are some differences at some airports, but I just wanted to kind of hit some points in my experience that I found uh, to be helpful to know about when traveling with a firearm. And I'll tackle this first from let's say traveling with a rifle for a hunt, and then we'll talk about traveling with a handgun uh, a bit separately. But to begin with, traveling with a with a rifle, this is something, again, I've done numerous times, something I'll be doing here shortly as we go to Alaska for a caribou hunt. And first things first, I would say with your case, um, just get a double rifle case, even if you will only bring a single rifle at any time. So a double rifle case is just going to give you more versatility. Um, and I actually recommend, you know, if you look at rifle cases, uh, especially like Pelican cases, most guys know that brand. I actually use a, a case from a company called Seahorse. But most of those or a lot of those are going to come with foam on the inside. And you can customize that foam to exactly fit your rifle or exactly fit, you know, accessories to go with that. I actually don't recommend using that foam. I would take your double rifle case take that foam out. Um, there's usually like a, a base top foam layer and a bottom foam layer. That's okay to leave in in terms of padding, but the actual foam that contains your firearm, actually pull that out and would just pack your firearm in a soft-sided case within your rifle case that you fly with. And there's several reasons for that. One of the primary ones is that you'll actually have more space by removing the foam and you can pack other items in your rifle case that you're going to check in. So instead of having this big rifle case and only having your rifle in there, you can now pack extra hunting gear with that, which I'll talk about in a second. The other reason is, and this applies to say our Alaska hunt, for example, you know, we're going to be transferring to a small charter plane that doesn't take the big hard sided rifle cases. And so we actually have to fly with our rifles in a soft case for that last leg of the flight to get into the Alaskan backcountry. And so you always have to have it anyway. So it's just smarter to have it so again, I recommend hard-sided double rifle case that is approved for airline travel. Don't use the custom foam within that, but put your rifle within a soft-sided case in that double case. 
Now that your rifle's in that soft-sided case, you have extra space. I'm looking at my rifle case right now, packed for Alaska, and I know I have my rifle and ammunition there, but I have my tripod, my spotting scope, my binoculars, a handgun, ammunition for both of those, uh, my fishing setup, my trekking poles, my knives, some clothing. So there's a ton of space in my double rifle case that I can put other hunting gear in and just that means it's one less bag I have to check for this trip. So again, that's a, a good strategy to consider. Don't use that custom foam, but kind of loose pack things and then pack gear around it. Some of those things are going to have to be checked anyway, such as your hunting knives. So it just makes sense to have those within your rifle case. Um, on the case as well, and obviously you're going to have to lock this thing for airline travel. They're going to want locks pretty much at every entry point. So what I mean by that is on my case, I have four main latches that open the case. They want locks on all four latches. I could lock two of the latches and you wouldn't get into it, but they just want assurance. So just something to keep in mind with locks. If you have four latches, if you have six latches, however many latches you have on that case that can be locked with a padlock style lock, you're going to want to lock for each of those. So again, for me, I have four. Um, you can go on Amazon and buy a four pack of like master locked key locks that share one key. That's what I do. That's what I recommend. These do not, do not have to be TSA locks. And I would recommend that you don't use TSA locks. So you guys might be familiar with there's TSA locks that TSA can open even if you don't provide the key or the combination. TSA can access them. I do not use those. Do not recommend those for a firearm. So use a padlock with a combination that only you have or a key that only you have. And TSA might want to open that, but they can do that with you giving them access um, once you check that in. And we'll talk about that check-in process here in a bit. So again, case is pretty simple. Go double, even if you're only ever bringing a single rifle. Don't use a custom foam, and then pack a bunch of extra hunting gear in your case with you. Have a lock for every latch, and then you get to the airport, you're ready to go. So at the airport, the first thing you want to do is just go to the airline's baggage counter. You don't need to go straight to TSA. There's no like super secret gun place. Just go to the airline baggage counter. Um, and let them know that you're checking a baggage item that contains a firearm. I wouldn't walk up there and say, hey, I have a gun. You know, people flip out. So it's super simple. I mean, they deal with people checking in firearms. Just say, hey, this baggage item contains a firearm. That's going to be perfectly fine. They're probably going to ask you, is it unloaded and is it locked and etc." And then you're going to have to sign this little orange uh card basically which is basically just you signing to confirm those items that they've just asked you about which is the firearm is unloaded if there's ammunition it's properly stored that declaration needs to be signed and put into the case so if you've already locked your case you're gonna have to open it back up sign this declaration card and put it back in there and then lock it up before it obviously goes to tsa at most airports there's going to be some sort of TSA um, like station, for lack of better terms, TSA baggage check point that is not your standard TSA stuff where the, the baggage or the airline's going to take your bag and put on the conveyor belt and it's whisked away to be checked wherever in the secret. But in many, many airports, there's going to be a TSA check that you can personally then take your case to 
TSA will typically there with you present. Have you opened the case? They will look through the case. They'll do their little swabs and testing, whatever they need to do. You're there, you're present. And then when they're finished, you can lock the case again with your locks that they don't have access to. And then it is actually checked in. At some airports, um, there's not that TSA station that you can be physically present at, um, which is unfortunate. So the way that that would work is the airline will typically take your bag, send it out to TSA. They're going to tell you to hang tight for 15 to 20 minutes. If TSA wants to open the case that, again, you only have access to because you have the key to the lock, then they will actually come and get you um, and request to open the case so they can check it. I've I've been through airports like that, and sometimes they don't check it at all. I have had them come get me while I'm waiting and want access to the case to check it. Ideally, the airport's going to have that place you can go to and just be present and not deal with that. So in terms of the regulations, always, always, always go to the TSA site. I'm not going to tell you every little detail about the regulations of how to fly with a firearm always go to the TSA site and check for yourself. But I would say most of it's super common sense. We've already talked about the locks and obviously being a hard-sided case and everywhere there are locks or can be locks, there should be locks. We've talked about the type of locks. Clearly the firearm needs to be unloaded and then any ammunition that you're traveling with needs to be within a locked case as well. That ammunition cannot be loosely stored for lack of a better term so you can't have it obviously floating around the bag you can't have loose ammunition in a baggie or something like that it needs to be stored within a like quote-unquote case it doesn't need to be a locked case within your case even a factory ammunition box is fine so if you have the box of your hunting rounds in the factory box no problem um, you can buy those plastic ammunition containers with dividers that's perfectly fine you can't cannot store ammunition in a magazine. Even if that magazine is not inserted into the firearm, uh, ammunition cannot be stored in a magazine. That is not kosher. They don't want that. Um, The magazine, if it's fully empty, can be in a firearm. No ammunition should be in a magazine, whether that magazine is within the firearm or is not within the firearm. So pretty straightforward stuff. I mean, that's about it. But again, Go to TSA, and as a second check, I would say go to your airline and see if they have any special rules, any things to consider. But if you keep those basics in mind, that's you're, you should be set. I've flown numerous times with firearms. Follow the basics. Double-check TSA. You should be good to go. Um, what that doesn't cover is international travel. I have not yet flown internationally with firearms. Clearly, that's going to have a whole host of complexity depending on what your destination is and international rules and customs that's a whole different discussion that varies greatly depending on where you're headed so again i'm not covering international but domestic travel within the u.s that should be pretty much all you have to worry about now that's all firearms in a specific case i will just touch on times where i've traveled for bow hunting but also packed a handgun, a sidearm for protection. So I'm not flying with my hunting rifle. I'm flying with a pistol for uh, a bow hunt. In those instances, what I personally do is 
will put that pistol within its own locked case within my bow case. Um, the bow case I happen to use is, uh, it's not hard sided. It's kind of like semi hard. It's, it's from Eason. It's actually a phenomenal case. And I wish I had the model name handy. I don't even think they make it anymore, which is why I don't want to recommend it specifically. I don't think it's available, but what I do is take, um, a handgun safe. It's just a, a metal keyed lock box. It's actually meant for your car and it has a cable that. Again, the original intention in your car is to wrap around your seat or some other secured location and then now have this pistol lockbox secured to your car. I take that. That's what I use for travel. And I'll actually take that cable, wrap it around my bow so this pistol safe, if you will, is now tied to my bow. That's within my bow case. The key for that pistol lockbox is, again, not a TSA lock. It's a key that I only have. I'll typically will just use TSA locks on my bouquet specifically, so they can open that as needed, but they do not um, have the key to the pistol specifically. So again, if you're fine with just a pistol, it doesn't need to be in a like hard-sided gun um baggage, right? Like you can put it in a standard suitcase as long as the pistol itself is in a locked hard-sided case. The suitcase, the the outer container, if you will, does not have to be a quote-unquote gun case. It can be just within a soft-sided, soft-sided luggage. So all the same rules apply there in terms of ammunition storage, everything being unloaded, signing the declaration, going to baggage counter at the airline, declaring that that baggage item contains a firearm. All that's the same. So that's super simple stuff. Um, again, a lot of this information is easy to find out there. Check TSA, check your airline. Don't be intimidated by this process. Um, consider that airlines deal with this on a pretty regular basis, not only for hunters, um, people traveling with firearms for protection, people going to courses. There's all kinds of scenarios that people travel with firearms. So you might feel intimidated or nervous about this, but do it a time or two and you'll pretty much realize it's no big deal. At your destination, when your flight lands, your baggage that contains a firearm is not just going to come off the baggage carousel. So all you do is go to your airline's baggage claim office. It will be located near the baggage carousel, but your specific airline will have a baggage claim office. You're going to go there. You're going to present your identification and your luggage will be hand-delivered to that office, and then that transfer takes place. Basically, they look at um, the item uh, in terms of the baggage, see the name on that, compare it to your ID, you're good to go. That is one nice thing about traveling with a firearm, is that that luggage is treated so much differently than standard luggage. Um, TSA, all those people, they do not want to lose a bag with a firearm in it, it is basically hand escorted everywhere through the process from my understanding. And so it's actually kind of a pretty cool way, especially I've, I've dealt with that, as I mentioned with traveling for bow hunting, I'm like, man, if I lose my bow and all this other hunting gear I have in there, that's going to stink. But having that firearm in there, everything's treated so different. So it's kind of nice reassurance to be honest with you. So again, those are just some things to keep in mind in terms of like packing strategies and the basics that you need to know about traveling with a firearm. Don't be intimidated by it. 
But let's get more specific into traveling for bow hunting. And again, this conversation with Kyle from uh, Outdoors International, he really goes into his process in a very detailed level. And again, this applies not only to flying, but taking road trips, or really there's a lot in here that I would say is just helpful information for preseason checkups. So here's this conversation with Kyle. Hope you guys enjoy it. Kyle, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, my pleasure, Mark. Yeah, it's good to uh, catch up. We actually met uh, a couple years ago now, or I, I don't know, a few years ago now on, on a death hike. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, good times, memories there for sure. I mean, you do something like that with somebody and you're like immediately have some sort of connection that goes beyond just a general, yeah, we met one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for listeners, just kind of give some quick context on who you are, what you're up to, and kind of how you're involved in the hunting space a bit. Well, thanks, Mark. Um, well, my name is Kyle Hansen. I'm born and raised Iowa City, Iowa. And uh, like Mark just said, I, I met him and the rest of the SNS backcountry crew on the Exo Death Hike. Uh, I think that was... I can't remember if it was 16 or 17, but it was it was the one that you guys called the easy one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the easy one. Yeah, I think it yeah. was 16. Yeah, so so that's where I met you guys, and uh, I still get a kick out of that because I remember I remember I was just just sucking it, and <laughs> and I was walking behind you and Steve at one point. You guys were just jabbering away, carrying on a conversation, and then I just I realized that it was kind of calming because sometimes I listen to you guys' podcast when I'm working out or something. And it was just funny hearing the voices. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's that's the main thing I remember from that. But um, uh, outside of uh, knowing you guys, um, my full time career is with my family's company in the uh, automotive field. Here, my my family owns a collision repair company, and that's what I do as my day job. And then uh, my newest venture and my position in the outdoors industry, aside from being a consumer, is I just started as a the newest agent on the team for Outdoors International. And, uh, outdoors International is uh, one of the largest online-based hunting consultant firms in the world right now. We have uh, experiences on every single continent and uh, an outstanding group of outfitters that we work with. So I won't plug that too hard, but if anybody's interested in knowing more about that, they can get a hold of me. Um, and then uh, outside of that, I've also served in the Iowa Army National Guard for almost eight years now. I've been doing that happily. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of the long story short on me, Mark. Yeah, that's cool, man. For guys who hear about Outdoors International or even this idea of a hunting consultant and have no idea what that is, um, what is it? It's like Outdoors International, hunting consultant, like what is that model? What does someone coming to you guys get in terms of trying to make a hunt happen how does that work because you're not a guide like some guys might hear that and think you're a guide um so yeah just kind of fill us in because it is an interesting model that i think some guys just completely aren't aware of absolutely thanks for the opportunity to explain that mark so outdoors international what we are like at its lowest easiest to understand level is we're kind of like a travel agency but for hunting, fishing, wing shooting, and adventure travel. Now, we're, we're more than just booking agents, however, because we, we assist our clients with um, matching them up to the right 
type of trip and experience that best fits their needs. So say, for example, Mark, like if you came to me as just, just an average Joe on the street that hadn't really been on very many guided or unguided hunts per se. And you just, you just wanted to go to somebody that has already done the work and vetted the outfitters and someone that you can trust uh, to kind of help you make the decision of where you're going to go based on whether it be your budget, physicality level, and uh, just overall experience that you're after. You could come to someone like me and just let me get to know you and get to know like what, what your flavor is as far as hunting and try to help make recommendations based on our uh, short list of pre-vetted outfitters and experiences. And we have, like I said before, we have experiences and outfitters on every continent of the world and we can set guys up on anything and everything that they could possibly want to do. Really. We have a fishing specialist there, a venture travel specialist. We have guys that specialize more in like, uh, mule deer and elk, uh, European, uh, Alaska. That's kind of where my niche is uh, ended up going since I'm really big on the unguided Alaska stuff. Um, and we have uh, more than just guided trips available. Uh, we have unguided trips available as well on all scales and available to all walks of life. So I think that it's, it's a really good program they offer. And like you said, it's not, it's, not an outfitter we are not guides we are consultants and we are we're more than just that guy in the middle where uh we're, our position as a consultant is we want to get to know our our clients and uh try to help uh, them take their dreams and goals to fruition and uh, best serve everyone that we can yeah no, that's great i'm glad you mentioned too it's not just guided hunts and you yourself, oh, no. I mean, started, you became aware of Outdoors International as a customer. So you, the fact Absolutely. that you're working with them is, honestly, it's years later now. But like yep. you've been on the customer side of that and helped make some uh, Alaskan adventures happen for yourself, which is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And I, like I said, I've seen, I've seen both sides of the table now as a client and now as a, as a consultant. So, and they've, throughout that whole process, I myself have gone through the journey of, not knowing and not really knowing where to start. And that's where I met Outdoors International. And, you know, I, I didn't really understand Outdoors International when I first started, but the guys there, they worked with me and educated me and helped me pick options. And uh, they honestly helped my dreams come to reality. I, um, my number one bucket list hunt ever since I started hunting as, you know, just a child was to go uh, Alaska moose hunting. And now I've done it twice. <laughs> So I, I, I never thought that I could do it and I did, and I did it unguided. And that, that was just my, my dream, like my number one bucket list item. And I did it just as a guy from the Midwest that had only hunted deer and turkeys. <laughs> right. So that's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. So in terms of, uh, in terms of you going to Alaska and traveling to hunt a bit, that kind of leads us into the topic we want to talk about. And that's just basically traveling with a bow, um, and we're going to hit this from a bunch of different angles. And there, you know, one thing that you had done was like this video series. And we're basically going to walk through some of the points you raised in there. But for guys who might think traveling with a bow is just throwing a bow in a case and hitting the road, like hopefully you can get away with that and not have any issues. But you took a very like analytical approach to that and kind of detailed some of the best ways to do it. 
Um, and this, you know, this applies not only if you're hunting in Alaska and flying to any other state, but I would do the same thing and have done the same thing even for driving. So going on an out-of-state hunt, if you're driving, flying, going to an archery shoot, and honestly, a lot of what we're going to cover is just very good information for like preseason in general, um, just to make sure your bow is ready for bow season. Um, but to start with, like kind of specifically for traveling, Kyle, like this for you begins with even how you set up your bow, meaning like what accessories you're choosing and some of the factors that do or don't make certain accessories work well for traveling. Um, so talk about like at first, let's just dive into like site selection and a factor there in terms of mounting that makes things better for traveling. Absolutely. And that's, that's where I first start looking at the whole traveling with a bow concept is with the component selection. So, um, the type of components that I like to put on my bow, they all need to have a certain amount of redundancy. They need to be efficient and repeatable to take on and off. And so just in terms of the site, I like to use a dovetail style of site because it's very easy to take on and off and be repeatable and redundant. Um, it travels very well. Specifically, I use the Montana Black Gold Verdict Descent Assault. I actually have a custom version of that. That's a four pin. That's one of my favorites I've ever used. Um, and then uh, that's what you're using too, isn't it? One of those uh, verdicts. Yeah, I've been shooting the Black Gold stuff for, for years. I strayed for a little bit, but I uh, came back and yeah, I'm 100% would recommend them. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. I, I've tried a couple other brands and I just haven't haven't liked them near as much as the black gold stuff but they're all good but biggest thing i think is just a redundant durable site that is a dovetail i just i love the dovetails they, they go on and off so easy and you're not worried about getting it back in the same spot um, and then uh, as far as uh, other components one of the things that i like to do is i like to use uh, quick detach mounts for stabilizer bars if you've played around with that much either but that's that's what i like to do they just they pop on and off real easy and it's just real fast goes in and out of the case really easily yeah yeah and the main idea here is is you go to put a bow in a case to travel with it um specifically for travel cases your bow is typically not going to fit with all those accessories installed so you might not have enough room for the site or a stabilizer coming off of your bow and fitting in the case you're gonna have to remove these components and then when you get to your destination, reinstalling them needs to be repeatable and accurate. So, um, and efficient, honestly, like a stabilizer. Yeah. You don't need a quick detach, but, um, as silly as it sounds, you're going to waste time taking that thing on and off when you could just quickly, uh, move it. And I've found that even for traveling locally, um, and putting a bow in a case, a quick detach stabilizer in the end is, uh, yeah, it's just worth it for sure. Yeah, you know, makes it a lot less tedious popping it, popping it off and putting it back together really quick and going to the case. And then I really started using the quick detach stuff when I started running a back bar just because I got so tired of taking that bracket on and off all the time. And I, it just kind of bothered me that I was constantly cranking, cranking on a bolt, tightening it up and taking it off. I was just worried I was going to strip something out too. So Yeah. Do you have any specifics on what to look at if the maybe even the idea of a quick detach is new to somebody and he's not even sure what we're talking about is there a specific product you recommend i think gosh years and years ago i picked up a couple 
I think even used on archery talk from Doinker, which they make stabilizers mm-hmm. and they have a quick detach. But to be honest with you, I bought those several years ago uh, and honestly haven't looked at these products since. So is there anything you're aware of or like a certain one you'd recommend that guys maybe look at or start with or consider? Um, I think everyone's go-to initially is probably the bee stinger stuff. And actually one of the products that's on my, my stabilizer system is a bee stinger. Um, I personally run AAE hot rods, uh, Western Hunter front and rear uh, 10-8 bar setup. And then I added in the single offset rear uh, adjustable bar with, or a uh, bracket with a quick detach. Um, so there's that, that offset bracket those are usually an add-on those can be kind of pricey those little brackets can be anywhere from like 60 to 100 bucks and then uh, that uh, stabilizer setup that i run it's only like 120 bucks for the front rear bar that's pretty affordable and works pretty well and then the, the quick detach feature for the front bar is actually a one inch spacer and that's a bee stinger product and it's just a little spacer with a little uh kind of lock mechanism that just slides down in and you tighten it and that uh, that goes over top of my wrist sling bracket so I, I like how it holds that in place too and i don't have to constantly jockey with that but i think uh overall bee stinger is probably a really good place to start i've heard good things about doinker uh, i really like the aae products in general so that's why i wanted to try those i think on my next bow i'd like to try some bee stinger stuff too though Good. Yeah. I, I recall now that you mentioned that, that, uh, since I had bought in my quick disconnect setups, I remember seeing theirs come out. So yeah, that's definitely a good one to check out because Beastinger makes solid stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of sticking with the bow and this is all pre-travel items that you're doing, um, you make reference marks. So yes. walk us through the idea, the purpose, the reason for a reference mark, and then the places on your bow that you're making these reference marks. Absolutely. So the reference marks that I put on my bow, I call that, um, I call it travel proofing or trip proofing my bow. And the reason I do that is one, I have reference points in case something comes loose, like a mechanical part that is bolted to the bow, or if the bow gets damaged while in shipping, I'm going to be able to diagnose that on the spot. If say, for example, I throw it together and go shoot it and it's just not shooting right. I have these different marks throughout the bow that are going to just allow me to narrow that down really fast and hopefully without a trip to the pro shop. And so the marks that I like to put on my bow are starting with the, uh, starting with the sight on the dovetail mount itself, I like to put a little silver dot that overlaps on the dovetail bracket and the dovetail. So that way, just in case I didn't remember which slot that it belonged, the sight belonged in, I'll have a little reference point there. They do have like a detent in there, so it'll self-center, but it'll tell me which detent I started with and I'm sighted in for. And then I also like to put a little dot somewhere overlapping where the rest uh, bolts onto the side of the riser of the bow. That way, in, in case the rest for some reason got bumped or jarred or came loose and travel, I'll know where roughly to put it back to get back to my baseline tune that I left with. Um, and then beyond that, um, I like to also mark my peep sight. I like to put a little dot 
above and below the serving that ties my peep sight into the string. That way, if somehow in travel, the peep sight gets shifted up or down, then I can just go ahead and slide that back in place. Ideally, your peep sight is tied in in such a way to begin with that you're not going to have to worry about that. But, you know, it, it could happen. I don't want it to happen. But, you know. Just a little extra redundancy there. And then something I like to do too, which I do on all my friends' bows when I work on their bows now too, is I mark the cams. After after I have tuned the bow, I mark the cams in reference to the limb. And so basically uh, I put a little line on the cam itself. So if I look at the limbs um, at a perpendicular angle to the bow, there's a silver line there that is in line on the cam with the limbs does that make sense yeah yeah you're looking basically uh across the limb at the cam and making sure that that line is there yes and what what that does that also that tells me if just for some reason if a cable got damaged um i'll know in reference to where my bow was set and tuned uh, as far as like cam synchronization and timing Um, and uh that's, those are all just my reference points, and like I said, it helps me diagnose something if, if something happened in travel or even during hunting. If something happened, it uh, helps me avoid a trip to the pro shop and get back to where I want to be to start with. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect, man. If you basically think of uh, anywhere on your bow that something could move that should not move, you want to basically make a reference point. So yeah, if it's... Uh, you know, a windage issue on your rest or your peep or anything like that, like having those reference points once your bow is fully set up, fully tuned, like you're dialed preseason. Um, even if you're not traveling, this is something that I've done in years past of just, I know I'm going to be taking my bow out and potentially beating it up or God forbid, you know, I, I'm dropping it or I take a spill, anything like that. I just want to know that I have those reference marks to go back to. And those aren't something I'm constantly looking at because typically things don't change. But at the same time, if you're in the midst of the season or midst of the hunt and something's not shooting right, like those reference points are the first place to begin to look because you can see, did something change? Like, did something move? And that's potentially why something's, uh, you know, not right. Yeah, exactly. And then, like you said, uh, on the rest, you like to mark the windage on that as well. Um, I forgot to mention that. I'll do that too. But uh, that can be more critical on some rests than others. Like my rest is a Hamsky Microtune. And so if I actually loosen the windage on that rest, it'll move back and forth a little bit. But because of that Microtune feature, it won't really move that much. Whereas if you have like a non-microtune rest where you just loosen it, slide the whole windage side to side manually, that can be really critical there that you have some sort of mark on it. Good point. So anything else, um, you know, before we get into like packing for a trip and taking the trip, like anything else that comes to mind in terms of travel proofing or kind of preparation for getting ready to pack up a bow and travel with it? Yep. Um, something I didn't mention and sometimes I forget to mention it because I just don't think of it, but, uh, go through and make sure everything's tight (laughs) before you leave. (laughs) Uh, that, that one kind of just goes without saying, but it's one of those things that you might forget very easily. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, solid point for sure. So before we talk about packing up your bow in a case and selecting a case, I'm just curious, like, when it comes to taking a trip, and again, this could be flying, driving, doesn't matter, but like what extras, what repair tools, what, you know, 
basically, yeah, any repair items or tools do you bring with you on a trip or on a hunt? I try to stay pretty basic and minimalist with that. So I just imagine like, okay, what, what can I do to my bow without a vice and a press? I can fix a D loop. I can repair some serving. I can tighten some things. So I bring a little bit of D loop material. I usually, um, I usually have a multi tool on me, so I don't really need like a D loop tool or a different knife or anything like that really. And then my multi tool has some bits with it. So I make sure that my multi tool has the bits for uh, other than Allen head fasteners, like on my Hoyt RX one, there's a couple of Torx heads like on the mods. So I make sure that I have that certain bit for that uh, Torx head on the mods in case one of those come loose. Uh, but otherwise I carry just one of those real basic Allen head, uh, just Allen head assortment, multi-tool things. You can buy them at like every single pro shop. They're usually yellow or orange and have a bunch of different bits in there for the Allen head in case you're, limb bolts or rest bolts or anything like that come loose and then on certain certain rest configurations and site configurations um, you may want to carry an individual allen head if uh, for some reason your big multi-tool won't fit say for example uh, on some of the spot hogs they have uh, an allen head that is a special allen head wrench that is just a little bit shorter um, because of clearance. And so I usually carry one of those with me just for my hamski rest. Cause actually that particular Allen head works really well for my hamski in, uh, on a certain spot. Um, and then, yeah, so that's really all I carry just the multi-tool, maybe an additional Allen head for something specific and a little bit of D loop serving. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I'm essentially the same. I basically have, uh, one kind of pouch that's always in my pack mm-hmm. and it includes gear repair, weapon repair and person repair. Meaning I keep like my first aid kit as well as mm-hmm. my bow repair kit, gear repair kit all together. And just having that stuff all together in one pouch, you just always know you have it and hopefully you never really need to touch it. And I typically yep. don't, but yeah, like those, those simple things. And as you said, the idea isn't, uh, you know, that you're going to be like making some crazy repair in the field. I mean, if something drastic happens, you're probably going to have to go to a pro shop or something and get some assistance. And I, I even know guys who pack the little portable bow presses and extra string sets and all kinds of craziness. But yeah, um, to me, I'd be going to town if that type of thing happens. So yeah, yeah serving dilute material and then Allen wrenches for key key areas and for me that's typically sight and rest um Mm -hmm. but yeah that's essentially a a smart thing to have and if you put just those few essentials together even on a backpack hunt i mean that stuff weighs next to nothing and takes up no space yeah yeah and even if a guy was worried about the weight aspect of that you could always you could always take that that uh just a repair pouch specifically and leave it in the truck you know if you're that worried about you know a multi-tool and some allen heads or something yeah yeah, for sure. Cool, man. So we got uh we got our accessories selected. We got our bow kind of travel proofed. Our reference marks made. Everything's tight. We got some extras for repair. We're getting ready to take a trip now. So again, this could be as simple as just throwing a bow in a case. But I think there's some things to think through here as you're actually packing to take this trip. So I guess first things first, like just talk through selecting a decent case, like what to look for. Okay, sure. There's there's a ton of models out there. Um, 
I personally, before I bought mine, I looked at mostly SKB, but there are some other good models out there. Um, they have them in all price ranges, everything from like 75, 80 bucks up to 300, 350. But I think most importantly, it needs to be durable. It needs to be crush proof. It doesn't necessarily have to be waterproof. That's a pretty cool feature to have, but not necessary for uh, commercial airline travel, hopefully. And um, ideally, it'll be foam padded on the inside. Some cases have uh, specific spots for your arrows to get clipped in. Others do not. Um, the model that I decided to go with is a, is a large, heavy-duty SKB double bow case. It's the 40 or 45-inch long model, and it can fit up to two bows, but I've never put two bows in it. I just wanted to go with the double bow case model because it gives me a little bit more internal storage so that way i can put my arrows in their own separate little hard case as well as uh, put other gear items in there like my clothing system and uh, all the accessories for the bows in the same case yeah that's great man i uh would wholeheartedly recommend getting a bigger case than you think you need in terms of yes. buying a double bow case <laughs> even if you don't plan on carrying two bows exactly what you said um simply because most of the time with flying, I've never had an issue with an oversized charge on checking in a large bouquet. So most of these airlines are going to treat that as sporting goods. Um, you know, things like golf clubs, for example, those exceed the typical uh, length width height requirements of standard luggage, but they basically say, oh, what's sporting goods? It's fine. It's just a standard bag. And so the every time I've traveled with a bow, it's always been the same. And so you can basically have one large piece of luggage and now it has your bow and all that, but you can fit so much more in there, as you mentioned, in terms of clothes. I've done, you know, a week long trip and traveled with a ton of extras and fit it all in the bow case. The only thing is with weight, you do have to keep in mind, you can get charged overage for weight versus size. Um, so that's one thing to look at, but for sure having extra space to pack other items with that is really important. And that kind of leads us into how you're packing that. So what you're doing more than just setting your bow in there and throwing clothes in it, like you're strategic with how you're using clothes as an example to help even further protect the bow. So what are those, some of those things you do to, there to actually organize inside the case? Absolutely. So like I could use the example of say uh, on a basic hunt, you're going to travel with some form of a layering system, right? And so that gives you an opportunity to use that layering system as additional padding inside that hard case. Now, like the hard case most likely will already have some sort of foam or insulation or padding to protect it, but you just don't want it bouncing around and vibrating and rubbing on things, especially those critical areas like the string. Um, so what I do is I take, uh, like, say, a hoodie or a mid-layer, uh, wrap that around one can, take the pants, wrap that around the other can, and take, like, shirts and base layers and wrap those around the limb pockets so that way the bow itself can't slide back and forth front or rear uh, and is almost uh, just kind of floating right there in the center with something on all corners to keep it from bouncing around and uh, and vibrating or rubbing on anything and then with the remaining uh, layering item pieces that i have clothing wise I take those and wrap them around my components. Like when I take my stabilizers off, I like to put those in a sock or something, usually a separate sock because I don't want them 
scratching each other and bouncing around. Um, then I'll take uh, the side off my bow and I'll wrap that in another jacket or a puffy or like a base layer or something. My uh, repair pouch, I'll usually just kind of have that sitting on the side just because there's nothing really sharp in there that's going to hurt anything and it zips shut. Uh, my range finder, same deal. It has its own little padded case. Sometimes I'll throw a shirt or something around that. And then a really important thing to note, I put my broadheads in the same case as my bow. However, they are always in their own individual hard case. And then if that hard case does not latch or clip shut, I'll wrap rubber bands or something around that hard case so it can't open. And then I'll take that hard case and like shove it in a sock and like double layer it with a sock or something. Because I do not want anything sharp to be floating around the inside of my bow case while it's traveling. And then, uh, like I said, also, I like to put my arrows in their own separate hard case. And SKB has an option for that where they have this little individual bifold hard case that I can put a dozen arrows in. Yeah, the, the main, I think the main thing to consider, like the most sensitive item is what you mentioned is something sharp coming in contact with your string. Like in mm-hmm. general, a bow and the rest and the sight, like if that stuff's tight and you're in a solid case, there's typically no worries there. But something moving around, something with any sort of sharp edge and your string being exposed is definitely something to uh, to keep an eye on for sure. Do Absolutely. You, Anything that comes to mind, Kyle, in terms of the logistics, let's say a guy's flying specifically. Um, the first time flying with something, with a bow, with broadheads, you know, a guy might be nervous or have questions or wonder how that goes. What's been your experience specifically flying with a bow setup? Um, as far as like dealing with TSA? Yeah, like anything specific you think a guy would need to know or might have questions about, whether that's check-in or certain rules for packing things, anything like that. Um, sure. And that's, that's a good point to bring up because, um, when I pack my bow, like I said, I'm not completely covering and wrapping my bow because I want my bow to be easily identifiable as a bow. Cause like every single time that I've flown with a bow, they almost always have to open the case for some reason or another. And I want them to be able to open that case and look at it say, yes, that's a compound bow, not, Hey, what is this giant blob of mechanical something wrapped in a puffy jacket? So I don't want them to have to take stuff out that much to inspect it because they almost always have to, it seems like. But as far as traveling with like the broadheads, the bow, I haven't really ran into too many issues with that other than when I flew to Canada last year, uh, the uh, Air Canada airline, the the nice lady that was checking me in, she didn't know what a bow was. And so she just saw, she saw a hard case and was like, I need to get my manager uh, to check your gun in and tried to explain to her that, uh, ma'am, it's, it's not a, uh, a gun. It's a compound bow. And <laughs> her response to that was, I don't know what kind of gun that is. <laughs> so um, I, I was then, uh, being a ventriloquist at that point and trying to show her, no stick and string, you know, like Robin Hood, you know? Yeah. She's like, Oh, Oh, okay. So like arrows, like, yes, yes. Arrows, bow. And uh, she started to get it. And then she didn't get her manager anyways, looking at it like, no, 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 you don't need a a special uh, identifier or anything like that for that. So it's, it really is just equivalent to traveling with like a set of golf clubs or something. Right. Yeah. I I've even, there's been times where people have asked me um, like, Oh, what's in the case. And I'll even say at times like sporting equipment because technically under TSA rules and everything else, 
Like, there's nothing special about a bow. Obviously, we're talking checked baggage here, but it literally can just be... It, it doesn't need to be declared as a weapon, like fi- like flying with a firearm does. So that's something to keep in mind. It's not like if guys are intimidated by the idea and think, you know, SWAT's going to come out or something because you carry it into the airport, like it's a non-factor at all. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's a super simple process, and it, it varies by airport, and some airports... Um, you know, they're going to basically tell you that TSA might open the case um, and inspect it. And I think typically for something that size, they will. I mean, I think they have every time I've flown with a bow, um, even if I don't, and I guess that's the point I was getting ready to do, air, airports are different. So like in Boise, for example, which I've flown in and out of a lot with a bow, it's a small airport. TSA is right there. And essentially from the check-in counter with your airline, they'll go, okay, we're going to take this to TSA. You walk over there, you're with a TSA agent. He inspects it, opens it in front of you, and then you're good. Mm-hmm. In larger airports, they might, the airline might take it, put it on the carousel, it disappears, and TSA is inspecting that, not with you present, but obviously while you're going through boarding and all that. But every single time I've flown, um, I've either had it inspected in my presence or it was inspected as I was boarding, going through security, et cetera, and they they leave like a TSA uh, note or what have you in there. So mm-hmm. that's important to keep in mind. Um, you know, traveling with TSA friendly locks is something I would recommend there for sure um, on that case. And then, yeah, I mean, I think in general, one thing I have done, uh, and I've done this out of necessity, where I've traveled with. A firearm meaning a, a pistol or a sidearm with my bow and i've also done it on certain trips where i didn't necessarily need the firearm but and maybe this is like silly reassurance but i've traveled with a pistol in its own locked case within my larger bow case with my bow and honestly i've done that before simply because tsa and the airlines will not have not <laughs> lost firearms like in checked baggage so basically if you have a firearm in your checked baggage it might sound scary but you're actually getting vip treatment right like they're not gonna lose that mm-hmm. they're gonna treat that oh, yeah. they're gonna treat that with priority and so i've done that on trips mainly because i wanted to ensure that my baggage is not lost or anything like that and if there's a firearm in there they're not gonna lose it <laughs> so even traveling with the firearm which is a whole different topic and also really easy to do is something you can do. And in the instances I've done that in my bow case, for example, I'll have my pistol in its own locked case within my bow case. And then my pistol case um, is designed so that it basically has like a, a leash. You can, you can wrap it around something essentially with a little steel cable. And I'll even lock that straight to my bow so that neither my bow nor the firearm can be removed or separated from each other or anything like that. That's probably way freaking overkill but it's been my experience that doing that uh is gonna kind of ensure that you don't have any issues there that's a good idea i'll have to steal that one from you (laughs) (laughs) i don't know you don't really need to do it every time but yeah anyway cool that's uh that's good stuff man i mean it's one of those things where when i first started traveling with a bow these are things that i just kind of picked up over time i'm like oh i should pack this way and not that there's a wrong way to do it, but I figured out like you have that little things make a difference in terms of, as you mentioned, dovetails and quick disconnects and then how you pack those accessories and getting extras into the case and uh, it makes a difference. So if you guys are, 
newer to traveling with a bow. Um, hopefully some of these tips have helped you out. Kyle, just to, to begin to wrap up, man, um, I'd love to hear more about just a little bit. You mentioned in the beginning that Alaska dream coming true. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you like myself are just a regular guy from the Midwest. So just kind of like speak to a little bit this idea that quote unquote big trips like that for guys who feel like those are out of reach. Like, did you think that way in the beginning? And then what was the process like for you just to make that happen? Just because I want guys to know that. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time and effort and money, but just don't wait forever or feel like these trips are so far out of reach. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up. I I absolutely I love talking to people about about doing these destination trips and especially the Alaska stuff because for me going to Alaska was just absolutely life altering and like you said, it, it it's within everybody's reach. People just don't understand that and the funny thing with, with mine is, like I said, I, I'd wanted to do that my entire life. The most iconic bucket list animal for me was a giant Alaskan bull moose. And that was my number one bucket list item. So rather than, you know, ramp up to it and do this hunt, do this hunt and do this hunt, I just went straight to that because that's just what I really wanted to do. But I, I honestly thought it was out of reach. I didn't know how to do it. It just seemed like an impossible task until one day I think I was – I just opened YouTube and there just happened to be a, a unguided Alaskan moose video on YouTube. And I watched this group of guys. It was like two brothers and their father planned and executed their own Alaskan moose hunt. And I was just, it just dawned on me, wait, people can do that. It's possible. Like, look, there's proof right in front of me. And, and so then I started looking into it and the more I researched, the more I found out that it, it's really doable. You just have to believe that you can and just start coming up with a plan and execute it. And it's, it's one of those things that's, it's a daunting task to plan and uh, research, but you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And I like to use my, my example of my first trip up to Alaska with my dad, because my father had never spent more than one night in a tent in his entire life. I took him up there and threw him straight into the Alaskan bush for 14 days. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and he owned it. That's cool, <laughs> he, man. He owned it, and we were both successful. And We had, like I said, a life-altering adventure, and it's something that we will always have and we'll always remember. And I really do think that anybody can do it if they want to. The biggest thing is just realizing that, yes, you can do it, and it, it is doable. And, you know, if you, if you ever need help planning one, I am always more than healthy, uh, healthy, more than happy to help. See, I speak in English good this morning, but I'm always happy to help new guys plan their trips. And that's actually something that we don't charge for that I just do for my clients as if, if anybody ever needs help logistically planning and gear lists and all that stuff, not only do our outfitters do it for our clients as a part of the process, but I help clients as well. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's not as hard as you think. It's just a lot of new information and it's all new, but you know, that's part of the adventure. So that's cool, man. Would you, yeah. uh, I know there's no like one quick answer, but just some thoughts on, for example, take Alaska and a lot of times, you know, that's going to be caribou or moose for non-residents is one of, going to be one of the places they start. What, yep. what, I mean, I know you had an affinity to the moose hunt specifically, but do you think, 
um like that's the way to go or does it just really depend on the person and what they're after like what's a good place to start if a guy just goes i want to hunt alaska i don't really care if it's moose or caribou like i just want to go experience the place and have the adventure would you steer him towards one way or the other or is it just kind of not that simple to make a recommendation oh yeah uh you know it depends on the guy if if a guy says hey i want to go hunt moose then I'm going to help him figure out how to go on a moose hunt. If a guy says, I want to go hunt Alaska and, you know, I don't really have too much of a preference where I start. I'm just looking for recommendations and Alaska is, is the main iconic thing in his mind. Then I'd probably suggest the caribou hunt to start with, or maybe, maybe like a unguided, uh, Kodiak blacktail type hunt. Um, you know, there's a lot of hunts like that, uh, along with the caribou that are all kind of on that same price point and ease of logistics, uh, as well as just being more manageable because of the body size of the animal that you're dealing with. Uh, moose is definitely a huge undertaking to try to take. And, uh, you're really biting off something <laughs> when you get one of those animals down. So there, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but overall, um, right off the gate, I try to suggest to people that they do some sort of unguided outfitted trip. That's not a guided trip. That is just an outfitter that sets guys up on drop camps. Like uh, the moose hunts that I've done, those have both been a drop camp style hunt where the outfitter has been able to provide their camp and food and equipment, everything besides their weapon and hunting gear and clothing, of course. Um, so they, we have those available for moose, uh, caribou. We don't have any uh, blacktail options right now, but we're uh, we're working on that. So stay tuned. Might have something going on there. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's that's where I think it's best for guys to start, as opposed to trying to plan their own charter service and uh, shipping food up and and trying to plan all that. It's kind of like an assisted hunt program for a guy to go hunt unguided. And I think. Uh, well, Steve and Lenny, they both, they've been, both done those hunts, I believe. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of that is when you have somebody helping you or coordinating those logistics, you can focus more on the hunt versus like mm-hmm. all these details and kind of unknowns um, that you would otherwise be worried about, which is which is what you want, right? Like you're not planning this adventure because you love planning and logistics and asking questions and worry about making decisions like you're just wanting to hunt and so the more you can offload of of those logistics items and just focus on the trip the better for sure yeah absolutely and it's it makes it much more manageable especially if you're renting a camp and food like when i went on my first alaskan trip i rented their camp and food up there at the service and that made it a lot easier and then my second go around i brought all my own camp and food and although it was nice just to dial in my own personal preferences it was an absolute nightmare trying to get five checked bags for two guys an entire camp and food through the chicago airport to fly to alaska by myself that was that was almost impossible it seemed like yeah so don't tell me that because we're easy. we're bringing our own camp and food this september so gotcha. well yeah no i know that's how you do it bad. i mean yeah we're still even though it's uh not quite a backpack hunt like we're still of the pretty lightweight minimal mind so we're gonna pack pretty dang streamlined but yeah we'll see i mean uh it'll be fun to to talk about that as you mentioned steven and lenny have done it it'll be my first time to alaska um 
this year. So yeah, so looking forward to it. Yeah, and I don't mean to mean to kind of talk it down, bring in your own stuff. I think that that's just no, a matter of preference, as well as you know how confident you are to start with. I know that you've you've done a couple of uh, backcountry hunts, and you're pretty versed in uh, packing and gear and stuff like that. Obviously, so you know that that's probably part of the experience for you. I'm sure is is uh, planning the logistics and gear. I know that that was a that was a really important. Um, aspect to my second Alaskan trip that that made part of the trip uh, in itself for me because I just I wanted to accomplish that and plan plan it all out and see that to fruition so yeah and I packed an entire base camp for two guys and uh, it's like when I talked to my buddy into going with me part of the deal was I'll bring all the camp and food so that was my selling point to get my buddy on but right. he was coming he was coming from Colorado and I was coming from Iowa so I had the entire camp and food all my own and so <laughs> my buddy flew up there with his pack and his weapon and I flew up there with five checked bags oh goodness <laughs> yeah yeah so that yeah, I mean, again, I think for, for most guys and probably most hunts, if you want to focus on the hunt itself and not logistics, then take the uh, take the folks up on letting them provide food and camp, and it'll probably just make the process easier for yeah. the most part, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, Kyle, it's uh, it's been good, man. Thanks for talking through this with us and uh, sharing your experience about traveling for that, and uh, we'll have to get you on again and talk about some other Alaska adventures and other adventures that I'm sure you'll be up to in the future. Oh yeah, absolutely. I look forward to hearing how you guys' trip goes this year and I wish you guys the best. Yeah. If, um, if guys want to maybe ask you questions or honestly just see what you're up to, because besides outdoors international and all that, you're, uh, you, you have, you've gone off the deep end in terms of like archery knowledge and technical knowledge and you do some cool stuff there and have some good info to share. So like any sources that you would point guys to to either get in contact with you or kind of follow what you're up to? Yeah, sure. Um, I have a YouTube channel that I think I, I just hit 30 subscribers last week. So, uh, I'm pretty much famous now, but that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, Kyle Hansen archery. Um, I don't, I don't get on there too much. I've only got a couple videos and that's just something that I do for fun. Sometimes not really something I'm trying to do a whole lot with but i put information out there every once in a while and then my instagram is uh, kyle hansen underscore archery just look for the profile picture of the guy with the moose that'll be pretty easy to find and then uh, i guess uh, if guys have questions for me personally regarding hunts um, i can put my cell phone number out there too if you want it's uh 319-936-6917 if you guys ever want to ask me a question about hunts you can get a hold of me there or send me an email at k hansen at outdoors-international.com that's my business line there awesome appreciate it Kyle. Yep. yeah no problem well guys hope you enjoyed that one from here on out through september podcasts are gonna get a little bit more sporadic from us that's for sure we'll be out hunting we'll be sure to recap that we're headed to alaska there's cool stuff coming but we won't have a weekly monday minute we won't have a weekly feature episode through september we're just kind of going to have to wing it and see how it goes with schedules and hunts and things like that. So stay in touch. If you guys, as I mentioned in the in the beginning, have any hunt reports, anything like that, send them directly to us. Podcast at exomountgear.com. Happy hunting.